how did you know that this was peaking out? Did you have some crazy moment where you knew it was peaking out where people were like, just offering you sick amounts of money yeah. without doing diligence or I will say one very, very, you know, big, big time investor, you know, offered a multi hundred dollar million round on the spot, you know, as I was wow. pitching them. Um, yeah, again, who knows if, if it in the room and in the room getting offered a couple of hundred million in the room during the presentation. Yeah, that is peak. This week in startups is brought to you by lemon.io. Get access to Lemon Hire, a platform with more than 80,000 pre-vetted engineers that you can interview within 48 hours. Get $2,000 off your first hire at lemon.io slash hire today. In Touch CX, give your startup a boost and simplify your processes with next level automated customer support solutions from InTouch CX. Discover your custom strategy at InTouchCX.com slash twist. And Northwest Registered Agent. When starting your business, it's important to use a service that will actually help you. Northwest Registered Agent is that service. They'll form your company fast, give you the documents you need to open a business bank account, and even provide you with mail scanning and a business address to keep your personal privacy intact. Visit NorthwestRegisteredAgent.com slash twist to get a 60% discount on your next LLC. All right, everybody. I'm really excited to have our next guest on the program. He hasn't been here for five years. Last time Howie Lou was on This Week in Startups was in April of 2018. Here we are in 2023. My God, so much has changed. Last time you were on, Howie, it was pre-pandemic and you just yeah. did your Series B for Airtable. Everybody loves Airtable. Welcome back to the program. Thank for the you. audience who doesn't know what Airtable is and your inspiration for creating it, please explain in the simplest terms possible what Airtable is. Yeah. So Airtable is basically like a Lego kit to build really useful business apps. Um, I worked at Salesforce briefly, saw the power of their platform and how configurable it was, and basically left to start Airtable as this really, really elegant, intuitive way to build you know, a large class of business apps, initially with a kind of direct to end user PLG model, and now increasingly with more of an enterprise focus going after bigger, meatier use cases. Uh, but it's still the same concept, the same vision of, we want to empower every company, every every line of business, even every you know person who wants to go out and build a really useful business app um, to do it uh, with the best possible Lego kit. Got it. And you uh, mentioned the acronym PLG, product-led yeah. growth. Why don't we explain to the audience, since a lot of founders are now saying, hey, our success comes from this philosophy, when you first For became sure. aware of it and how you kind of incorporate PLG into uh, your process at Airtable. Yeah. So, well, I can tell you when it wasn't a thing, which was when mm. we started out, but, you know, uh, founding the company and, and going out and raising our initial seed round. I remember getting so many uh, investors saying, you know, love the concept, love the the, uh, the platform mm. concept, um, you know, maybe even like you as, as a uh, potential founder, but this whole idea of build an awesome product you know, it's going to get traction on its own. You're going to grow at least initially through organic virality. That just doesn't exist. You know, maybe maybe Dropbox did it. Uh, this was actually before Slack had launched. So Slack wasn't even yet a, um, uh, a case study. But really, you know, maybe Dropbox kind of did it, Evernote uh, to some extent. But there's no really good comps for a company that's grown primarily on the backs of a, you know, beloved product. And so if you want to get serious, you got to go and figure out an enterprise sales motion from day one, right? 
And mm-hmm. in some sense, I'll, I'll come full circle to this, but like, you know, I'm sure we'll explore this topic. They weren't entirely wrong, um, but also, you know, what what uh, what I think they missed and what we, we then saw over the past 10 years really happen is, you know, bottoms up adoption really did kind of hit the mainstream. And obviously we've seen now a bunch of uh, SaaS companies, you know, start that way. In fact, maybe it's more of the default way to start mm-hmm. a, a SaaS product these days versus build up like a direct sales motion from from day one. And that bottom up is, hey, there's some hero in the organization who's tech savvy, who likes to GSD, get stuff done. (laughs) You use another word for S if you like, but they like to GSD. And so they come to work and they're like, hey, I got this like little secret thing here. We got this problem. Boom, I'm going to solve it over the weekend. You got that hero champion inside the org. And then they spread your product. And we used to call this word of mouth, but it's slightly different than that because you know, you do have this like person who's evangelizing, I guess is the term we used to yeah. use back in the 90s. This evangelist is out there, you know, telling everybody this is the greatest thing ever. What was the tip of the spear for Airtable? Because when I first saw it, I thought, oh, it's a spreadsheet. Yeah. You know, oh, this is like this weird like database spreadsheet because people would open up spreadsheets and they would use them as databases. They would use the spreadsheet right. as a CRM. It, it was that kind of the start of this was like the 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 Swiss Army knife spreadsheet of Excel that everybody used a different way, but it did, didn't yeah. really have the the tools or the ease of use and the templating and that, that inspired you? Yeah. So I, I think um, what I saw was this big gap between, you know, spreadsheets, like you said, are very widely used for everything, right? Like they're not just used for number crunching, which is really what they were designed for initially, like going all the way back to like VisiCalc, Lotus 1, 2, 3, like you know, the spreadsheet was really designed as a numerical, you know, analysis, like a number crunching tool, right? I mean, literally for accountants or finance people. Um, and I think what they've become, because there's nothing else out there that's as easy mm. to use or build on, is the default way to make a really lightweight app. It could be like inventory tracking for a small business. It could be your makeshift CRM. It could be, here's how you actually manage production workflows at a media company. Um, but it gets used for everything. And, mm. you know, in contrast, like, on the other extreme, if you want to actually go and build or use a purpose-built app, it's very, very complex or brittle, right? So you find like, here's one very specific point solution that does this specific thing, right? Mm. Or, you know, if you want to go and build your own, it's it's obviously very laborious and, and then you have to kind of maintain it, evolve it, et cetera. And so what we saw was this big, big chasm in between those two extremes. And we wanted Airtable to have as frictionless in entry point as a spreadsheet. So it was a, a very explicit design principle to make Airtable feel like a spreadsheet. So, you know, the motto internally was like, make it no harder to use than a traditional spreadsheet, but immediately add much, much more value if what you're doing is not number crunching, but you're trying to build an app, right? You have data in there, you want to build a workflow around it. Like we can do a lot better of a job by picking off those, those use cases. So I was going to have you on the show because uh, we had mentioned, uh, or I think it was Sachs, we were talking on All In about the state of the company. Yeah. And, you know, it's been like a rough time the last two years. And I guess there was some sort of tweet storm that we referenced, but you emailed me and said, hey, Jayhow, not and you also emailed Sachs. Hey, yeah. that tweet storm wasn't correct. It had a lot of weird data yeah. in it. And uh, we were like, oh, yeah, you know, our bad. And we want to correct that. We corrected it at the top of the show, I think, the next episode or the episode after. For sure. Explain to me what that tweet storm was, how it got out there, and then how you went about correcting it. Because this is kind of a new phenomenon. There are these, like, anonymous accounts or quasi-business accounts. Sometimes they call them the thread guys on Twitter (laughs) slash X. 
and they're kind of getting cloud by kind of telling stories in tweets, which is kind of cool. You know, sometimes you call them the reply guys, right? <laughs> and so somebody did that, but they used your company as like the the format, and it turned out they just you know triangulated information from like Crunchbase or wherever or like random yeah. stories. So yeah. what did they say? What is reality? Let's just get it For out sure. there because the company's actually doing really well. Yeah, well, you know, I appreciate you calling that out. Um, I actually don't know exactly where this person uh, who who posted this original tweet got their data. I, I assume from Crunchbase since they work at yeah. CB Insights. Um, but uh, but they had referenced you know Airtable's at like 150 million in revenue now. I think uh, they mm. said, and, and you know it's only been growing like low double digits. Like I think they quoted 14 percent or something over the past three years. So basically, like almost no growth. Um, mm. And uh, you know and and like it might have to raise more money and and like it's it like what what is the state of the business right like mm. and um, you know and and like again I actually don't don't fault this person like you know maybe they were just trying oh you to, know like, what. It was the CB around. Insights guy. The, yeah. the CB Insights is, I don't, I don't know exactly what their business is, but they're some sort of data provider. I think like maybe they compete with Crunchbase. And so their premise was, oh, you're, you know, you're like this, uh, you know, example of like, if you take the public market comps of like Monday and Asana, they're trading at six times revenue, 12 times, you're a private company. Uh, and you have like a very high private market valuation at some point, And that the bottom line was, that your valuation was probably somewhere between a billion and two. And that's like, whatever, a 90% from the private market, $11 billion value. Right. I, I right, got right. it now in front of me. Yeah. So yeah, I think their, their specific point was like, well, we've, you know, Airtable has raised almost that amount of money, right? Like we've raised 1.4 billion in total capital. So what if Airtable is not even worth the, the money they've raised, right? Which, you know, like, uh, it was a very speculative post. And, you know, again, don't fault this person. Uh, you know, like, I think they were probably trying to want get some buzz and, and like, you know, a conversation started with something probably intentionally a little bit more sensational. But also, like, you know, there, there's limited data out there or a lack thereof. And, you know, I think it was speculative by definition to, to kind of fill in that vacuum and, and maybe, again, just kind of solicit a conversation yeah. uh, to get going. Um, that being said, you know, like we we actually had already gotten to 150 million in ARR by the time we closed our Series F, which was like, you know, our, our last round. It was, at, you know, obviously during the peak. Um, the 2021 the, era. The peak correct, zero. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we can and, infer like at a 30% growth rate, or even with headwinds, 20%, well, fact, whatever like, it is. And frankly, we've grown at much higher than 30% um, okay, great. You know, since that time, right? So uh, like, you know, even the overall business, um, and by the way, like our enterprise business, which you know, as we talk more about the product and where we're going, you know, that's been the part that we focus more on. But even the overall business has grown at high double digit percents um, mm. for each of the last two fiscal years, like even this year, which, you know, we're, we're uh, obviously closing out, um, you know, the, the second half of, like we've still continued to grow at a healthy pace. Um, that we have seen, you know, like some, some tighter budget cycles, et cetera, some like, you know, tougher, tougher, uh, you know, kind of sales cycles, um, but like still growing at a very healthy rate. And also, by the way, like we're, we're profitable now uh, as a business. So oh, wow, you're uh, profitable. You know, we're actually That's generating, great. we're generating cash flow, uh, and we still have the vast majority of our funding raised uh, in the bank. So we have over 900 million of capital in the bank. Wow. Obviously now we, we add to it. So like, you know, the, the, the so let me ask you a question about yeah. that. Like, it, you felt the pressure in the market to switch from high growth to, you know, growth, uh, let's say yeah. from absurd growth to high growth with profits, even with 900 million in the bank, that seems like 
maybe an overreaction. So how do you make that decision as a CEO? Hey, sure. we got to get profitable. When you're sitting on 900 million, would it kill you to lose 100 million a year for the next nine or 150? Or were you just trying to be ultra conservative? And then how do you deal with these late stage investors yeah. and th the pressure of like, well, why aren't we putting this money to work? We gave you the money. We gave it to you grow. How do you manage all that? Yeah. Well, you know, first off, um, I feel very fortunate to have, you know, all of our investors really understand and be supportive of us building the best company we can for the long term. Meaning I've never felt from any of our investors at any, you know, uh, round, you know, creating pressure on us to do something that's perverse to what we actually believe is, is going to be the best outcome for the overall business long term. No short term pressures, et cetera. What we're really trying to do is build a high quality business. And it turns out, you know, I think um, in an era when there was very cheap capital, it makes sense to go and try to deploy that capital in the pursuit of both experimental initiatives, both product wise and go to market. And mm -hmm. also just rationally where the return on the dollar is low, right? When literally the, you know, kind of, uh, you know, risk free interest rate is next to nil, like it's yeah. rational to try to deploy Absolutely. your own capital. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If people are and offering even, you mean, money. Totally. At 0%, essentially, and you're getting for minor sure. dilution, of course, you're going to go for the gold. That makes sense. Sure. But the game changed on the field. The game changed. If you've ever had to hire developers, you know it is a giant headache. Are they built for the startup grind? How do you know? If you hire the wrong developer, man, maybe they're going to drag your whole team down. Maybe they take you down some rabbit hole and you don't know what's going on. And then not only are you back to square one, you might be behind the eight ball, right? But if you hire the right developer, that could be a game changer. Let me introduce you to Lemon Hire. It's a platform that helps you find qualified senior developers who want to join your team. Lemon Hire pre-selects vets and matches tech candidates with high growth startups so founders can focus on building their vision. Here's why you can trust Lemon Hire. They got 80,000 pre-vetted engineers, and you can interview any of them within 48 hours notice. You pay nothing until you started onboarding. Lemon Hire is going to replace any of your hires for free in the first 30 days. So just go to lemon.io slash hire, H-I-R-E, to get a special offer just for Twist listeners, $2,000 off your first hire. That's right, two grand off at lemon.io slash hire, L-E-M-O-N dot I-O slash hire. Hire with confidence at lemon.io slash hire. How long did it take you to shift those gears? What I was that say, process like? Know, how many board not, meetings? How many quarters? <laughs> um, I would say, you know, it's it's not so simple as just we got to go profitable, though that's that's one obvious like kind of milestone that we cross. It takes much more of a surgical understanding of, you know, how what are the growth levers of the business? And truth be told, I think, you know, Airtable for sure, uh, but probably a lot of other companies that, you know, I know of like out there don't have as good of an understanding of their growth levers as, mm. you know, we we hoped or, or thought we did, right? Meaning like if you're, you know, a company that's super optimized, like Salesforce at some point got to the point where they could, they could predictably add, you know, another rep to the system, get this much productivity out like clockwork. And they just could know, you know, we can scale it up at, at this rate, right? And I think for a lot of other businesses, especially those that came from PLG. Um, and especially for us, where it's organic PLG, we weren't even paying performance marketing dollars to get our top of funnel, like top of funnel just compounded over time. And obviously, now we've, we've added on this enterprise sales layer to our business. It's actually murkier, like how much incremental return are you going to get if you like add more people, if you invest more into the business, right? It's not as predictable as, as uh, we would have liked. So I think, you know, a lot of what we did was spent the past, call it year, even year and a half, 
really trying to surgically understand, you know, how the business worked, right? Um, and mm. that meant for me going out and not only talking to other operators, some of whom are great, you know, advisors or friends to the company, people who have run companies, you know, or, or operated at scale like ServiceNow or Salesforce or many, many yeah. other kind of SaaS companies, um, you know, or, uh, you know, for, for me to go internally within the business and like spend time both on the ground level with customers, et cetera, and kind of really understand like, when things are working well, like when we do really well with a customer and we're expanding and growing those dollars, like what's actually happening and what are the pieces of that that we can recreate more mm. consistently? So I think oh. it takes both an outward, like, you know, an externally um, informed approach and certainly your board and, and investors can help with that. We have some great ones who have like really good perspective, mm. but also like this very internal oriented approach where you go and really understand like what's working within our customer uh, base within our org. And, and really it's about like, you know, one, just getting to a healthy size as a business that, yes. you know, candidly is like the right scale and the right uh, structure for our type of business and our scale. Um, you know, and I think again, like the, the cheap capital uh, in many ways, it allowed you to, to kind of go and grow ahead of the the curve right like how far out were you hiring was it because this is something we talk a lot about on all in we talk about it here you know that seemed to me that you know the big tech companies were hiring two to three years out in terms of like let's get staff in here yeah for literally two years from now we'll get them you know because we're in this crazy competition and then you know i'd say the 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 large pre-public companies like yours maybe you're what a year ahead of you're trying to hire a year ahead of plan or something to that at the peak? Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, again, like, I, I don't even think about it in that way anymore because yeah, mm. you could say, like, for our revenue scale or for the revenue scale we're going to be at in a year, you know, what what is, like, the typical SaaS comp, like, the SaaS benchmark headcount of sales and marketing and product dollars? Um, you could do that analysis, but I think it's kind of the wrong way to think about it because if you're really tight on understanding the incremental impact of every hire you make in any of those mm. categories, product, marketing, sales, um, you know, headcount or, or dollars, then you don't have to just pull forward all of those hires in one mm. big mass, right? right. Um, I mean, it's easier to go and hire aggressively ahead and just try a bunch of stuff. And, you know, frankly, I take accountability for, for kind of trying that, um, you know, kind of a little bit messier approach of, of uh, uh, yeah. let's just go and like staff up and Reed see often calls it blitz scaling, uh, right? It's like exactly. it's, uh, Uber did it, Travis did it, you know, like for sure. it, it, it is a known strategy to get to scale. You had, I think, 1,200, 1,300 people at the peak. You did two rounds of layoffs. Yeah. I think you cut 500 people or so. Now. Yeah. But now, 650, you know, wow. So half Correct. the amount of people. Yeah. Um, wow. And that's tough, right? It's brutal. It's it's really tough emotionally. Totally hard. Um, you know, for, for like everyone in the room, like I feel... You know, there there were days where like I felt horrible. Um, just oh God! Imagine like, having to to like you know go through that, and obviously like I'm not even the one who who, who really has to bear the the brunt of of uh, you know of these changes. But at the same time, I think you know the lesson learned is blitz scaling. I think makes a lot of sense, and I have a lot of respect for the the concept and and read coining it. Sure. I think it makes a lot of sense in certain domains. So certain businesses are truly a winner takes all. Like if yes. you're Uber, Airbnb, if you don't get Uber, in there, other you know Lyft or some other competitor, whether Kareem, it's this market or a different one, is going to yeah, come in. Grab, there, right? yeah. And it's literally who can get there first, right? Like the only advantage you're going to have is in building bigger network effects, getting better economies of scale, etc. Um, especially so when you have a business where the unit economics get better with 
with scale. Mm. And so you like, it's almost like you can't even build the profitable version of this business without getting to scale, right? SaaS economics are obviously very, very different. And I would argue in most cases, if a SaaS company, especially after you get to like 100, 200 million of revenue scale, mm-hmm. like if you can't make the economic model work or start like being very clearly on the path to making it work really well, throwing a bunch of fuel on the fire is not always going to help you. Now, it might in some cases where, you know, there, there are some light, you know, kind of economies of scale, like R&D dollars, obviously, you know, you invest in the software product once you get to sell it as many times as you like. But I just think it works differently in SaaS. And also, these are very rarely as commoditized, you know, hyper-competitive markets as the on-demand economy, you know, companies that, that require blitz scaling, right? So, Describe like, even with their the, table, yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, describe the feeling, the vibes, as the kids say, yeah. but the, just a general feeling of going from, hey, we're in blitz scale mode, we're adding tons of people. Yeah. And it, I, I would suspect a little bit chaotic, but like, you know, yeah. you know, like sort of this, like blitz scaling would be. And then, oh my God, we're profitable, we're efficient, we're safe and secure in this crazy maelstrom that is, you know, this what was definitely a recession and is a recession for yeah. our industry, even though there's weird stuff going on, like GDP is growing at like a really yeah. incredible number. It's a very so, bizarre, yeah. It's the craziest recession I've ever yeah. been through because yeah. we're having a crazy recession, travel's going into a recession. It's almost, I call it the rolling recession where it's like every yeah. industry gets like three or four quarters of down market crash and or correction yeah. and or recession. Uh, so. Just the vibes, like how did it change from one to the other? And does the company run more efficiently and feel stronger now? Yeah, well, look, I think we're in the early days of building what I would call like the scaffolding for a really lean and and focused business, right? And we've been trying to build, you know, that scaffolding in, in kind of phases over the past even couple of years. You know, the riff is just part of that. Like the, the you know, the yeah. actually getting leaner, getting smaller is part of that. But I think there's a lot of other parts of it. Like, you know, having a really good operating framework for the business. Like, how do we create accountability? Uh, one thing we did um, with our product org, which is is really exciting to me, and, and I think to a lot of the folks uh, in in our uh, company, is like we're actually aligning our major product pillars. Like, these are the groups that that um, you know the, the the major surface areas of the product organization. We're really aligning them around different segments of the business with real revenue dollars attached to each of them, right? So no longer is it just like a, hey, we build awesome features functionality, and then, you know, eventually it gets sold and marketed somehow. Give me an, give rather, an example like of that yeah, you know, so, and so how like you do it. Concretely, you know, we have, we have like three major pillars, and one of them is around self-serve revenue, and it's basically called the team's pillar, and we're orienting around like the self-serve product experience. So we always want to have this amazing, you know, kind of top of funnel experience. Anyone can hear about Airtable, come in, sign up organically and get a really good onboarding experience, right? And even build an app of their own, share it, whether they're, you know, a small team within a big company or they could be, you know, a small company in and of themselves. But we want to make that experience as effortless as possible. And that's actually going to feed in not only to our self-serve revenue base, which by the way, as a separate, like even by its own would be a hundred million dollar business and still continues to grow hyper efficiently, right? Because that doesn't require much human touch at all. Or it's going to contribute by feeding in you know, be, becoming the seeds of adoption within large enterprises that eventually we can put a human touch on and turn into one of our many, you know, uh, million dollar accounts, right? So right. like that's that's one pillar and it's uh, it's accountable to real revenue outcomes, especially on the self-serve side. So it just, there's this like feeling of like, wow, like, you know, now the product 
uh, folks and, and the, the R&D folks can really feel like they own revenue, right? And like yeah. I personally think like there's just something really palpable and exciting about like thinking as a business owner, like a GM, rather than just, okay, I build this functionality, this feature, launch it. That's kind of that's kind of it, right? Um, yeah. So that's one of the three pillars, you know, won't, won't go into all three, uh, but- Well, no, but it's nice like when the people who are in the kitchen who are making this incredible dish can bring it out land 100%. the dish yeah. on the table and see the customer's reaction to it. Totally. And for a long time, the chefs, you know, and the kitchen staff in the front of the house is two separate experiences. Yeah. And when, when they kind of get blended and you can kind of connect those things, it just, it makes it more fun, you know. I completely agree. When you're a founder, you need to be able to do every job, but you can't be an expert in everything all at once. And one of the hardest things to scale is customer support. So here's your solution. InTouch CX will help you to create a custom support strategy designed around your unique challenges, all powered by AI and automation. InTouch CX provides automated solutions in voice, email, and chat support to enhance customer experience. Again, the experts at InTouch CX will design a customer experience strategy tailored to your brand and your goals. When you use InTouch CX to automate repetitive tasks, you'll deliver faster customer support resolutions and you'll boost customer satisfaction. Ready to ignite your startup growth? Well, book a free consultation with an automation expert at InTouchCX.com slash twist. That's InTouchCX.com slash twist. To build on that metaphor, you know, it's, it's almost like if the chefs are actually coming out and seeing like the look on, yes. on the customer's face and even like seeing which orders they, they read, like which items the, the customer comes back and keeps repeating an order for, yes. then you can actually tailor your recipes around that, right? Like you actually mm -hmm. start just developing different menu items and like the way you prepare it caters to that, that end customer experience, right? So yeah. you get the like whole feedback loop going where I think in truth, like, one of the challenges of hyperscaling is it's really hard to keep that tightness of the whole feedback loop, right? Like it's the opposite of the lean startup manifesto or, or a methodology yeah. where like you really want like everyone in the room working on the company to understand deeply what the customer actually cares about, what they're willing to pay for. And if you're adding, you know, like a ton of people and, and you're growing every function kind yeah. of at, at the split scaling speed, I think you end up getting, you know, like almost by necessity disintermediated from that feedback loop. You cut the company down almost by half. Uh, your clients were doing that at the same time. So mm -hmm. you charge on a per seat basis. For sure. Uh, and so here's a clip. I'm taking you back in time, an unexpected okay. clip. They just pulled this live. Here's a clip oh, of boy. you and I five years ago <laughs> and me asking you about pricing. So 120 bucks a year, 240 bucks a year for a user. If I'm an enterprise and I got 10 people in my company, mm -hmm. do I pay more or less? So you pay more. Um, you Why do I have to pay lot. more? So you get more uh, of everything. So okay. you get, uh, you know, kind of expanded usage limits. Um, mm -hmm. You get uh, a lot of administrative control. So certainly got things it. like SSO. And you also get, um, you know, kind when of... When you say that SSO, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So SSO is basically where we allow you to use your own authentication system mm -hmm. um, to, to allow users at your company to use... Airtable. So, so I don't have to create a whole bunch of new accounts. Exactly. I just have the single sign on, boom. Right. And you can provision, deprovision those users whatever you want. So they get all those tools and that would cost what? 30 bucks in the enterprise so a month? So it's more. Um, so it's 40 bucks. at 60 per user per month. 60 um, per, 720 they, a year? Yeah. So we actually- Marron, this is expensive. No wonder everybody wanted <laughs> in, to invest in this company. And yeah, I, I mean, missed it. <laughs> I mean, I think- uh, oh you God, know, you, what was that Series A like? That must have been like a 10, 15 million dollar round. Uh, so we raised actually a little bit less than that. It was around 8 million. 
million uh, oh, for Series Oh, my A. God. Oh, and you just raised 52? Uh, correct, yeah. 52 million. Yep. Uh, and that was probably for no more than 20% of the companies. That means a $250 million post. Uh, we're not coming on the uh, But I'm in the, the ballpark. But sure, yeah. Because I'm in the ball. It yeah, could yeah. be 10% of the company. Right. Who knows? Oh, my Lord. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's just it incredible. You dress more like me now, and I dress more like myself. Yeah, exactly. I used to put the suit on and try to be respectful for CEOs, but you just think about that, like, gosh, what a moment in time, huh? Like, yeah. that was really, if you think about Zerp and you think about the inflection point, that was 2018, you did your Series B. Just look at that crazy, like, jump in valuations. You had, you, you said the Series A was like 12 million or something, and then boom, yeah. that was the Zerp. That was the start of the way, peak. That, I mean, that that B round for us was before our unicorn round, of obviously, uh, which yeah. happened you know later in the year, and and you know obviously we we grew as well as a business uh, during that time and, and since that time. But yeah, it was you know like I remember when we got to you know get the the unicorn status, uh, which was never something I like cared for innately, but you know to symbolize like one one step along the way. Like there weren't that many unicorns out no. there, right? I mean, they're like. You know, especially in in SaaS. I mean, there were a bunch. Yeah, no, in SaaS it was dozens. Like consumer. Yeah, and yeah, in consumer and everything, it was low hundreds. It might have been like two hundred at that time or something, yeah. not two thousand. And right. you know, I think people extrapolated and suspended disbelief on a lot of companies in terms of product market fit. For sure. And maybe it wasn't there, and, and that that was the big mistake in the entire industry. But you you had product market fit. Yeah. How did you know that this was peaking out? Did you have some crazy moment where you knew it was peaking out where people were like just offering you sick amounts of money yeah. without <laughs> doing diligence or like showing up at your house with donuts trying to get you to take a I mean, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I ne never had that experience. I will say one very, very, um, uh, you know, big, big time investor. Uh, you know, I think this was more um, tongue in cheek than, than serious, but, you know, offered a multi hundred dollar million round on the spot, you know, as I was wow. pitching them. Um, you know, again, who knows if, if it was in the room, we didn't, and in the, in room. the room, we didn't wow. take the round, you know, did, like, I don't even know if it, if it would have been a real, real uh, hard offer. But, um, but, you know, I think we always took a much more methodical approach to finding investors. So we never really got to like experience the full, like, uh, you know, the full on wildness of, of the uh, funding environment. Like, I wish I had stories of like investors, like throwing term sheets. Like, no, in I our mean, face getting offered a couple hundred too. million in the room during the presentation. Yeah, that is peak i mean That's usually true, yeah. yeah usually you think hey you got to meet my next set of partners you got to do diligence let me talk to a couple of customers that should be a 30-day process not a 30-minute process right for sure. however many minutes into the room meeting you were but listen you're you had an incredibly strong company back to the product um yeah. because i'm fascinated by the product and a product trend i'm seeing yeah. there were verticalized apps and there were developers and for example we needed to uh, do like two products recently in the last year. One of them was we wanted to have, speaking of investors, when our startups, we invest in 150 a year now. So it's like when, when I met with you, it was like we're investing in like two a month. So 24 yeah. a year. Now we're at 150. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have all these founders together and we wanted to build a way, two different things. One, a demo day kind of handshake uh, thing uh, where you know, everybody who's an angel investor coming to the dim sum demo day, I hosted at a dim sum restaurant because everybody <laughs> loves dim sum. We would send them a link. Hey, pick the companies you like, click here to request a meeting, click here to request to join the thing. And I was like, okay, like we can hire a developer to do that. And like, they're like, oh, we built it already. I'm like, how'd you build it? Airtable. I'm like, awesome. okay, great. 
And that's supposed to cost me. I was prepared to pay 25 or 50K to a developer to do that. No developer. There's people today who are good at scripting and using these tools and the views and Zapier and if this, then that, whatever they use as glue to get it dialed in. Then the second one was we wanted to build an investor intelligence database. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, SurveyMonkey type form, they start doing the forms. I'm like, well, you need a presentation level for this. And so they start using Airtable. But then there's Coda we use a lot, too. And then Notion. And so Notion kind of documents going into database, Coda kind of database with some documents. You're like Excel with database. And the thing I love about this trend um, is, one, we can prototype software and it just works. And it's not like no code and it's not developing. So we can kind of go yeah. faster. And I don't, I can have the product leads. It's only a certain type of yeah. business person who can do this. But if I can get them to learn how to do this, and some people do it natively, about 20% now of, I think, yeah. either young or highly technical people can do it. Man, it's so powerful when the business leader can build the system and just take a week to do it. Man, it you don't have to hire a developer and then have them disappear and yeah, everything like that. So maybe you could speak to how people are using this and if my use case is kind of indicative of why this is so um, addicting and why, you know, for me with a 20 person company, I don't know what we're spending on Airtable, nor do I care. Because I'm sure it's well, low. It sounds thousands. like we should charge you twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars. Wow, I think we're paying low thousands because I have probably yeah. have I don't know twenty people on it or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. So twenty people, thirty, forty bucks a month, whatever we're paying, it's probably like under ten k. Yeah, it's a really great deal for both parties. I feel like for sure. Yeah, I think what's happening, and I love that you called out. You know, to be honest, it's not like every single person in your company or even like you know, outside your company, I'm sure like your company tends to skew much more tech savvy than like most 20% companies out there. Corporate America. Um, But it's not like every person is coming in and like building very elaborate apps on Airtable all the time. Right. Um, And I think what, what it's actually, what's actually happening uh, with this genre of, of uh, product is it almost like abstracts away the technical bits of building a useful business app, right? So, you know, if you literally wanted to develop it with code, you'd have to know all the best practices of front-end engineering and back-end engineering and get the auth right and like just do all of these different bits and pieces just to be able to then work on the part that actually captures what I would call like the business data layer and the business logic, right? So in the case of, you know, let's say the like matching the, the you know, the, the alums or the company, um, uh, you know, founders, like, or the fundraising apps, like, there's a know-how around the business, uh, you know, part part of things, right? Like, what do you want to happen from a business standpoint? What's the behavior right. you want? What's the rules? Like, what are the best practices that you want to codify into the software? Like, in traditional software development, you have to go through all the technical bits that have nothing to do with that, nothing. just to get to the point where you can express that part. So, really, what's happening is that we're trying to abstract away, and I think a lot of these other products are trying to abstract away a lot of that technical complexity and make it, you know, it's almost like how you build a website with Wix versus with HTML, right? Like HTML has nothing to do with your business. It's like a very like, you know, kind of uh, rote uh, language. And and, uh, you gotta, you gotta muck through some, some technical stuff to build the thing you want. Whereas Wix just lets you go and, you know, design it yourself. Right. So in our case, Squarespace, but yeah, both of those are like exceptional products at that. And it's a perfect analogy. I don't have to get in there you know, and do that. And just the same with forms, like you used to have to put, fire up a database server, fire up some HTML yeah. on the front end. And, and then you have like something like Typeform or SurveyMonkey, just super elegant. 
Starting a business used to be a real pain in the neck. You needed to pay lawyers, tons of hidden fees. It was a mess. We all know that, but not anymore. You need to check out Northwest Registered Agent. They're going to help you form your company really fast, then get you the docs you need to open a business bank account. They're also going to provide you with mail scanning, which is amazing, and give you a business address to keep your personal privacy intact. Northwest can form LLCs, corporations, or nonprofits. And they're also going to equip you with a registered service agent, an operating agreement or bylaws, membership or stockholder certificates, a resolution to open a bank account, and it's all privacy by default. You'll also get lifetime support from their corporate guide. So here's your call to action. Northwest provides everything you need to start and maintain your business. And they're giving Twist listeners a 60% discount. For just $39 plus state fees, they'll form your LLC, corporation, or nonprofit. Visit northwestregisteredagent.com slash twist. Once again, northwestregisteredagent.com slash twist. So let's go over to AI. Yeah, uh, I, you must be obsessed with this. I'm getting crazy obsessed with it. I made everybody in the company uh, use ChatGPT4 and Bard and everything. When they yeah. have some sort of an issue or a question, I'm like, share with me because now you can share the threads. You know, the chat yeah. thing. Share the thread with me where you asked ChatGPT4. They're like, oh, I didn't. Uh, right. They smacked like their the head. Would, uh, or let me Google that for you. Yeah. The, it, you know, it's it's, it's let literally me, like, let, let me, me Google that, that for you. Yeah. The website. And yeah. I'm like, let me chat GPT that for you. And uh, had an incredible experience the other day. We were we were looking at an equestrian company okay. to invest in. And they're like, we have questions about the TAM. I'm like, and I just like write my thing. You're yeah. an investor at a venture firm. <laughs> you're considering an investment in an equestrian company. Please give me all the data you can in a table with citations of the total addressable market and subsections and yeah. categories of this. And like I put it into Claude, ChatGPT, and Bard, and my lord, the the amount of incredible information. And I was like, we could have hired an expert in equestrian, or yeah. spent thirty hours of research and not gotten something. Hired good. McKinsey to go and do like a exactly. million dollar we'll project on this. Exactly, it's literally like, what is McKinsey going to do yeah. with this? Like, and this is year one of the technology. We're about to hit the one year anniversary, so. That's yeah. just from my my world, like a small thing. What are you doing as CEO? What are you playing with? What are you seeing internally as you run your organization? And then what are people looking for in the product? And, and how do you think about the roadmap? So internal to external. Yeah, so I mean, I agree. I think, I think this is like pretty profound stuff. Now, I do think we're also at this point where there's a lot of hype, right? I think we're in like maybe sure. close to peak hype. And you know, while these models, especially I'm, I'm more excited personally about the LLMs as opposed to like image generation or other domains, but, um, you know, or at least LLMs that have multimodal capabilities. So it, it can reason and perform, you know, tasks like what you just described, like size me this TAM or write me up like a product description for this new concept I'm toying around with or whatever. It's more of the reasoning skills that are interesting to me than just like purely like, you know, something, something much more visual. Uh, or audio, for instance, like the music generation. Um, but I think to me, what's exciting is that like, this is like the iPhone one, right? It's like clearly going to be a game changer. You know, it's got, it's got some roughness around the edges. It's not yeah. like it can't replace everything all, all overnight. And I think the problem is like, you know, I just hope that the hype doesn't get so big, whether it's on the investment side and funding a bunch of, you know, companies. 
Too uh, late. They're doing ASF. Or, you know, yeah, probably. Uh, or on the the, uh, the customer side, where, like, you know, customers are pitched a bunch of stuff that doesn't actually work well enough today to, to serve the purpose, that there's this, like, massive trowel of, of, uh, trough of uh, disillusionment that, like, we have to dig our, ourselves out of, right? Because um, that would be my fear, is that this is really a potent technology there are clearly ways that it's going to, you know, be applicable today, but more so as, as it just gets better and better. Like, and even comparing GPT four to three, right? The difference between those two, even though like they're both large language models with like many billions of parameters and trained on like really really large data sets of of text, like. Yeah. GPT-4 can pass the bar with human-like accuracy. GPT-3 could not, even though GPT-3 is pretty yeah. good still. So I think we're just getting closer and closer to the point where you can actually get these breakthrough applications. The way we think about it with Airtable is we're not at, and probably won't be personally, I don't think we're going to be at, you know, in the very near future, maybe not even in like five years, a point where... You know, AI is so good at everything that it just replaces all human interaction, intuition, et cetera, in software, right? No. Um, like you just completely cut out the human in product development and generating marketing campaigns, et cetera. It's all, you know, completely run turnkey by AI. I don't think we're at that point. I don't think we're going to get to that anytime soon. Um, I do think we're at a point where if humans are very much in the loop and can use AI in a, in a very specific way, right? Um, and, and they can tailor how the AI is used that is predictable and very tailored. Um, then you can get really interesting applications overnight. Like tomorrow, you can start yes. unlocking these use cases. So like the whole premise of Airtable is like, we create this app platform that is really easy to build on. And so, you know, uh, by virtue of that, we think we can give you AI pieces to put into that platform. AI field is, is uh, you know, our first example. Yeah, I like that. Where, That's a really cool idea. Explain it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, if, if Airtable is a Lego kit, like now we give you AI pieces to build in that Lego kit, but it's really still about what you're building with those Legos, right? So if you want to build a way to do your product roadmap better, but now with AI, you can choose exactly what prompt and what data feeds into that prompt and, you know, kind of how, how you output the result. Maybe it's to customer or to triage customer feedback, right? Um, yeah. Into your product roadmap, or maybe it's to generate product ideas or, uh, you know, a PRE for a feature that is in development, mm. but you can choose exactly how to feed that into that workflow. Yeah. In the context of your own data with with our, you know, kind of Lego pieces. So yeah, that's, that's our approach. Yeah, you're right, Mouse Wig on, hey, this is customer feedback. A anytime customer feedback comes in, you know, say it in bullet points as short as possible and then put it into a category exactly. so you can tag it, et cetera. I, I, I noticed tagging, I'm working on a project on inside.com yeah. and like just tagging of news stories or tagging of blog posts it's kind of figured that out better than humans can do it. Like it knows the who, what, when, where, why yeah. in a document. So if you say like, tell me the names of people and tell me the locations in this field of data, it kind of does that perfect. For sure. And that's just, if you think about data normalization and, and trying to make sense of data and feedback from users, man, that's amazing. And you say, let's give me the top two points each piece of customer feedback is and then look at this body of feedback and write a daily summary of it. Wow, that stuff is crazy. I think the range of it is what's so powerful, right? Like when you talked about like, you know, doing TAM sizing, that's like very high grade stuff, right? Like, you know, like strategy consulting level stuff. But the fact that you can also have it do very rote work. And by the way, like, yes. you know, in either case, even if you're using the most advanced model, like Claude 200K token or GP4 32K token or whatever the next best version is going to be. 
yeah, it's expensive relative to the cheaper, smaller models. We're talking like cents per quarter, yeah, no, right? For I something mean, that it's like ridiculous. Yeah, it's like yeah. a billionaire. It's, it's like a millionaire, like going into Starbucks. Like, th there's no amount of damage Starbucks can do. Totally. You, could, you could just order whatever you want and leave half of it behind. It, 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 you're totally. gonna be okay. Yeah. Like the the bills on these things is like laughable. Um, are you upselling people on the AI, or are you just eating the cost yeah. and putting it in flat rate? How, how do you think so about we're, that? So yeah, we're yeah, we're still um, we haven't officially launched the you know uh, the paid you know full GA version of our AI capabilities, and we're building out more features to that, that leverage AI. So in addition to AI field, we're building something that allows you to ask questions of your data, you know, like pretty mm. much what you would expect, right? So if you have a CRM in your table, you know, or your, your, uh, you know, companies you've invested in, you can ask questions like, Hey, what was that company I invested in that does this? Or, yeah. you know, list off all the companies that I've invested in, in this category or whatever it may be, right? We're doing more stuff with AI and then we want to package it all and both offer it one as, as kind of an AI bundle um, and TBDS as to what that pricing will be. But you know, we think of it similar to how Microsoft is, is thinking about Copilot for Office, yeah. where it's going to be a lot of enhancement, the, the enhancements that just make the product so much better that it's worthy of like a sig significant add-on fee, right? It actually That's exciting for SaaS so companies. Yeah, because if everybody's going to do more with less, right? You're doing, yeah. your, your company has tripled in size, I, I'm going to guess, doubled or tripled in size since you went half in terms of the staff size ballpark. I'm, I'm, I'm in the ballpark again. Something like that? You doubled uh, or tripled? Well, not, I mean, we, we just uh, did our, our most recent riff oh, okay. like, a couple months ago, but like um, we, we've continued growing. We, we've definitely gotten much larger in scale than, than uh, you know, at the time, like we, we priced our last round. And your customers are coming to you. Like obviously Elon on Twitter went down 85%. He's releasing more product in the past year than yeah. <laughs> I can remember in the last yeah. five years of Twitter releasing product. So people are learning to do more with less. So then it makes sense that if, everybody's becoming like, I don't know, like a demigod or a god, you know, like everybody's the 10x programmer yeah. who has a job. Well, then if their tools a little more expensive, if their sword or their bow and arrows a little more expensive, like, okay, that's worth it. Because like, if a 10x programmer wants a $5,000 laptop instead of a $3,000, when you just get it to them, for sure. And so that's kind of exciting. If people are paying six or 700 bucks, maybe they pay 1200 bucks, who cares about the incremental 500? Yeah. The seat-based pricing, which has been, you know, everybody's, you know, cutting the number of seats uh, as people tighten up their organizations, and everybody's doing that all at once, which yeah. is really weird. But then people spend more, right? If you could spend more, so I don't mind like getting people a more powerful computer or spending twice as much on a SaaS product if it makes those people that much more effective at work. If that makes sense. For sure, no, a hundred percent. And you know, I also think the seat count reduction or just like headcount reduction is probably a little bit more hyperbolized than it actually exists. Like we've at least not, I mean, there are certain sectors, um, really small businesses or like, you know, high growth tech in particular, obviously have yeah. seen a, a major hiring slowdown or even like contraction in, in headcounts. Um, but, you know, a lot of other, other industries, like we're not really seeing as dramatic an, an impact, right? So with our customer base, like we're still continuing to expand, net expand, ah, like uh, in most of our customers. Like, oh, you know you what? Know, they didn't over expand. They didn't overhire yeah. like we did, so they weren't going. Yeah. They weren't doing the blitz scaling. Totally, we yeah, they were kind of. Uh, they, yeah, they, they paced it Slow more evenly steady. throughout, right, uh, the whole time. Um, but but I also think to your point, like you know, if you can really increase productivity of each person by a dramatic amount, then I mean, one, you can definitely charge more for it, right? Um, and that can counter, like, if you can get you know a real fifty percent plus 
increase in the average revenue per user uh, through these capabilities, like, you know, that's a pretty significant, you know, uh, jump up, right? Um, and that would be our aim is to get like a sizable jump up, not like something more, more incremental. But second of all, arguably, the, the companies have more reason to hire people who are more productive, right? Like as, as something, you know, as the ROI on hiring an extra person goes up, not down, mm. like, I actually think there's a there's a world where at least in some functions in some industries you hire more like developers for instance if yeah. they're more productive with AI Copilot than not right and I, I would venture to say like I think the same will be true for even non-developers in other you know areas like PMs marketers etc. Yeah, it's I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in terms of the economy and jobs specifically. We we're still at like record low unemployment for our lifetimes yeah. the past fifty years. And there's still 1.6 or seven jobs for every person who wants to get a job. Yeah. Unemployment participation actually ticked up a little bit. So we, I think we peaked at 69, 70%, you know, back in the like late nineties, early two thousands. And and now we were like, we were at like 60, 61, and now it's back up to 62, 63% of able-bodied folks in the United States who are looking for a job taking it. So I think in this down market, you'll see more people maybe come back to the workforce, which is great. Yeah. Um, but then there's going to be whole swaths of jobs that are removed, but you know, with a, it's so inspiring, this new technology that I think it's going to make people want to solve more problems in the world. And the world's got an infinite number. I believe the world's yeah. got like an infinite number of problems to solve. So what I'm seeing is all the freezing of hiring in big tech is resulting in more startups. I'm seeing many, yeah. many more two, three person startups, and they feel like they're as productive as the 10 person startups just five years early mm -hmm. because they're all using AI up and down the entire stack. For sure. So I'm super excited about where this all heads. Are you excited about AI? Are you concerned about job destruction? And we had this yeah. executive order come out and everybody's gonna have to submit their paperwork. And I don't know, somebody in the Biden administration is gonna like tell yeah. them if they are allowed to do stuff. And I, it's, right. it's a little bit, it's, it feels like a little regulatory capture, shout out Bill Gurley. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Uh, I don't know if you saw this stuff, but what, what are your thoughts on you know, the, the best this could be or how bad it For could sure. be. For sure. I mean, look, I, I think near term, I'm very excited, both because, you know, it's just cool to, to see, you know, and play with directly some of the stuff that you can do, whether it's with Midjourney or ChatGPT or so on. Like, we can all touch and feel it and like, it's exciting, right? Some of the stuff is like actually pretty mind blowing. And obviously for, for us as a business, like I think there are some pretty obvious ways that we can take advantage of it and, and help our customers gain value from it. We can be that conduit. I would say long, long term, um, as in like 10 plus years out, I am pretty worried, but mm. there's just so many unknowns from here yes. to there. Uh, you know, like obviously a lot of the conversation is around like, what if we, you know, create super intelligence and, and like all of the AI safety features and can you even build AI safety with, you know, uh, with a super intelligence that thinks far beyond or, or in a different way than we can. I mean, that stuff is like truly mind blowing and like really, really like uh, unnerving when you, when you think like deeply about it. Um, I can't, you know, uh, claim to know like I'm, I'm anywhere near an expert on, I mean, on the it's uh, just, topic. You're getting into science fiction, like. For sure, if, I mean, literally science fiction. What, what happens when AGI kind of starts thinking about, you know what, H how could I make myself smarter? Yeah, yeah. and I mean, yeah. the, the, the chip companies are now using AI optimize the design of AI chips. Right. And so if, if that's any indication of like how this thing could spiral yeah. out of control or in a wonderful way, I yeah. mean, we could see like the concepts of Moore's law or 
chip design, they, yeah. they're going to figure some things out that were orthogonal thinking, things that humans just couldn't For get sure. to. And it's going to find all these nooks and crannies of efficiency that, yeah. you know, maybe we stumble upon every decade or two. For uh, sure. And it's just going to find them and be like, oh, by the way, yeah. dummies, here's six more things you could have been here's doing like this whole time. a new way to fabricate processors. Yes hyper efficiently and with much higher performance we can get like a lower like a smaller nanometer process here's yeah. like how to uh, do less heat yeah yeah it's gonna be wild i mean it's For going sure. to be wild when that starts happening and then yeah. like this whole generation that's worked from home you know they're really like tweaked out about like commuting there was this whole viral yeah. on uh twitter of somebody freaked out that they had to commute and they had to leave their house at 7 30 and come home at 6 15 and i dunked on the woman a little bit like, oh my God, the humanity. But I was thinking about it. You know what? Like Henry Ford put everything at a five-day work week from a six-day. China Ooh. and I think it was Japan at some point, people were mm. working too hard and Japan started putting up yeah. posters in the, I think it was the 90, late 90s, early 2000s. Like take some recreation time, leave work yeah. early to go play tennis. Like they were trying to promote people to have more social lives. Yeah. I think we might get to the point with this AI in five or 10 years that bosses like me are like, you know what? Everybody's doing so great. Company's thriving. We're going to move to a four-day work week. I know people are like cheering right now, like, oh my God, Jake, I've seen it. But I mean, if things did get that good and you could get your job done in six hours a day or you could do it in four four days a week, like maybe that's where the world winds up. Maybe we just, the great bargain is going to be, yeah, come back to the office, but three days a week and For sure. work one day from home or something. What, what, what are you seeing in terms of people's work ethic and how that might change and then work from yeah. home. I'm curious as we wrap here. I personally, I, I love the idea of work smarter, not harder. And I think, um, you know, going back to the, the topic of like, who are the people who go out and build systems, build apps, right? Like, you know, instead of going in and trying to like, you know, match, uh, you know, companies by hand and do it a very manual way, like how do we automate this system? I think there's going to be more and more value for systems thinker, think, thinkers, people who, mm. um, especially, you know, with AI capabilities, figure out how to do something in a more automated way, still with some human intervention. But like, you know, to your point, it's like three days a week, four days a week worth of human oversight yeah. and input versus like a full five day or six day plus I'm doing every single little thing in this. Yep. Um, you know, the, the obvious example would be like, you know, if you're trying to generate marketing content, you know, obviously a lot of the actual writing itself of words, you know, you, you know, writers, you know, often got and still get paid on a per word basis. Yep. But I think, um, you know, I think obviously AI can help with some aspects of the writing. I don't think, you know, it's ever going to be a replacement for like human crafted or human edited writing, but you know, how much more oh, leverage can you get with, with, uh, yeah. you know, the, 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 uh, the, the leverage is big. I can tell you writing. like in, in every organization I've ever been in and I'm, you know, I'm a former journalist and editor, you know, there are always people who are great at editing, proofreading, fact-checking, yeah. sentence structure, you know, leads, style things. And you should just run around the organization. Okay, who's my style guy? Okay, who, yeah. who's my fact-checking person? Oh, who, who's my, you know, grammar, like, lunatic? And now you use Grammarly, another, shout out to another amazing sales yeah. product, and, like, it just gets everything right. And then you can highlight stuff in Grammarly, and I think Notion has a similar product. So now, like, I'm using Notion and Grammarly. But you yeah. just highlight something, you're like, make this better was like the prompt in terms of writing. Just highlight it and make it better. And somebody had written something, and most people are not natural writers, they forget what they learned in school, or they never yeah. had a good teacher. Now you can just write something that's really sloppy and choppy, highlight it, 
and say, make it better. And it literally goes from like a six to an eight. Yeah. Or maybe even a nine. And I'm like, well, that was a lot of what I did as an editor. A lot of what I do For now sure. in terms of helping people, I, I feel like the AI has replaced 80% of my proofing with people, maybe 90. Yeah. Maybe 90%. Yeah. And then the part that's left is like, what are we trying to communicate here? You know? Yeah. And that's super exciting to me. If everybody could be an eight out of a 10 of as a writer, as opposed to four to seven, right? man, that would be freaking fantastic. And then, and then we just focused your point on like, what is, the, what is the actual essence of the thing that is different or, or matters here, right? That's super exciting, whether it's a product or, you know, like writing content or, you know, you're, you're designing some kind of new, uh, you know, concept, like, it, it's all about like, what is the, the like essence of the thing? Um, yes. And I think that's, that's exciting to, to imagine a world where like more of us, we all spend more time on that. Cause I, I like, that's the fun part of the job. Exactly. I mean, Sachs was saying his biggest challenge as a writer, and he's a good writer, he's obviously a great thinker, which is starting from a blank page. And he said now, oh, yeah. like, because it builds the bones of the framework for him and he could fill it in really quick, that kind of plays to his strength because he, he didn't have the ability to like, For where sure. do I start? Which was kind of like my strength. Like I know exactly yeah. where to start. Like I know how to capture that first paragraph. Yeah. I know the ending. And then I'm just like, okay, you know, how do we yeah. get from point A to point B? It's going to be a couple of twists and turns in here. I got all my little toolkits and now it's like, well, you know what? Yeah, I can do all that. Freaking fantastic. So yeah. Yeah. Fill in the wigs. Exactly. All right. Listen, continued success. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're super busy. Uh, if you don't use Airtable, it rocks. I mean, your oh, organization is going to be like 10 times more efficient and it's getting more efficient. Just give it a shot. Go to, there's like a bunch of templates and all these lunatics make amazing templates. So if like you're doing your fundraising or cap table or OKRs or project management or CRM, you can just start whipping stuff up. And it's kind of an addiction for some people. Uh, you know, if you get addicted, don't blame me. But it's a great product. It's super affordable. Uh, Airtable.com. Listen, Howie, great to see you. Uh, let's do it again in five hey, good years. To see you. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah. Talk to you soon, brother. Cheers. Awesome. Good to see you.